Good morning and happy Friday, junior hires. Happy Friday. Happy, yeah. <laughs> I love these responses. Yeah, woo. Um, that's not a happy Friday or a real response. But again, I'm so thankful for it. Uh, and I'm so thankful that we have one more day together. Um, you guys, can we just again, I, I just, I want to, be as grateful as we can for uh, the camp staff, for your counselors, for everybody who's making this possible. Can you, can we say thank you this morning, please, to everybody? <laughs> Guys, without, without the contenders, without the camp staff, without your counselors, without these people, some of them behind the scenes making this possible, uh, camp would not be happening right now. And we would just all be home wishing we were at camp. Uh, so we are so, so grateful um, that they have worked so hard this week and continue to work so hard throughout the summer, faithfully, sacrificially. Thank you guys so much. Uh, our family has, just I'll echo what Matt said, our family too has just so enjoyed being with you guys this week. And uh, sad that it's Friday already. I mean, I feel like we just got here on Monday morning. It's so weird how uh, you enter like the time warp of camp, right? Uh, but we are back in, where, where are we guys in scripture? Where are we? First John, absolutely go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. And then let's read our question one more time. One, two, three, how can we know that we're riding for the brand? How can we know? And, and Monday, or sorry, Tuesday, uh, we, were, we were talking about what a true Christian believes about God. On Wednesday, we talked about what a true Christian will believe about the gospel. Yesterday, we talked about how uh, if we are truly riding for the brand, God has truly saved us, we will keep his commandments and we will keep his Word. His word becomes the lens through which we see and understand everything, and our obedience of his commands proves that we love him, that God truly has saved us. We looked at the pattern of our lives and the practice of our lives. Is it sinfulness or is it righteousness? Are we truly, do we truly have the Holy Spirit living inside of us? living out what this life is that Scripture describes to us, or is the practice of our lives disobedience to God's commands? And that's a really clear way that we can tell if we are riding for the brand or not. So hopefully this week in the mornings, and as Cody has preached through Romans 8, and as you guys have seen the proof of what it looks like to ride for the brand, if you guys have truly been saved, hopefully this has been a week of encouragement, of assurance, of seeing, wow, the Lord really is doing work in my life. He is causing me to be more and more sensitive to my sin, to hate my sin, to want to repent and confess of my sin. And on the other hand, I pray that if God has not saved you, if you do not know God our creator as your father, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior, and you do not know the Holy Spirit as your comforter and your strength, I pray that this has been clear from the word, your need for this savior named Jesus Christ, your need for being made right with our holy Creator God. 
And as we move along today and get into the next passage and just pick up right again where we left off yesterday, 1 John 2, 7 through 17, how and what does a true Christian love? How and what does a true Christian love? If I'm writing for the brand, how am I loving and what am I loving? Let's read the passage together. Starting in verse 7, beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right, let's get into our points as you guys are taking notes. Point number one, the old new commandment. The old new commandment, verses 7 through 11. Number two, assurance of new life, verses 12 through 14. And number three, do not love the world, verses 15 through 17. All right, let's get into verse seven and eight. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, and John is calling them, this group of churches, the beloved, because they are loved by God, they are his children, and... John also loves them as well. So he is recognizing here that he is family with the true believers in this group of churches he's writing to. And he says, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John what are you saying? You're saying this commandment is old, but it's also new, and you're not even telling us what the commandment is. So what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us? This should lead us to a couple questions. Number one, what is the commandment? What is John talking about here? But then also, how can it be from the beginning old and also a new commandment? Commandment. Doesn't that kind of sound like 
one of those riddles that you would see inside like a Laffy Taffy, you know, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Only the old people are going to get that in this room. Uh, but it sounds like, what, John, what are you saying? Something, this, this commandment is old and new. So let's start with the first question. What is the commandment? He's actually going to tell this group of churches a little bit later in this letter in chapter 3. 1 John 3.11, what is the commandment? For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That we should love one another. So that is what the commandment is. Now we've got to understand also, what does he mean by beginning? So he keeps saying that. You've heard it from the beginning. You had it from the beginning. So that kind of means two things. One, this is a commandment from Jesus, and we're going to get into this more in a second. And so if they are true believers, they would have heard the teaching of Jesus to love one another. But it's also from the beginning because this stretches all the way back to God's people Israel in the Old Testament. We see this in Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, a.k.a. God's people, a.k.a. Israel at that time. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's from the beginning of their faith, God saves us, and we hear the commandments of Jesus to love one another. But this has also always been the case. It's always been a command for the people of God. Now, how is it new? How is this also a new commandment? Well, John, same writer of our letter in his gospel, the Gospel of John, John 13, 34, 35, he writes down the words of Jesus where he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That's familiar to us so far, right? Okay, so we love one another. But Jesus, how is that new? He'll go on. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Okay, whoa. We just, that just got amped way up. Because first, the first time we heard we're supposed to love one another as we love ourselves, right? But what Jesus said is, I have loved you, and that is how you are to love one another. Well, how did Jesus love? Well, we know from yesterday we talked about it. And John says this in 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers or other Christians. And so Jesus makes this a new commandment, and he ups this thing. It's not just love your neighbor as yourself, but also love your neighbor, love your brothers and sisters in Christ as I have loved you in giving my life up for you giving my life up for you. And we talked about that yesterday, that this is part of how we follow the example of Jesus. We also see him say that the greatest form of love, John 15, 13, is the one who gives his life up for his friends, lays his life down for his friends. So this is how this commandment is the old new commandment or the new old commandment. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in 
darkness. So John references this old new commandment that you're supposed to be loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, not just as you love yourself, but also as Christ has loved us and giving up his life for us. And so then verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother isn't really in the light. This person is still in the darkness. John has been talking about this person again throughout this section of scripture. He's the one who says, yeah, I know God. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm writing for the brand. But if you look at my life, it looks nothing like what God has commanded in his word. And if somebody says they're in the light, that they know God, they're writing for the brand, but they hate brothers and sisters in Christ, they are in the darkness. Let's look at 1 John 3, 17 through 18 as John unpacks this. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is what we've been talking about. You can say, we can say whatever we want. We can make whatever claim we want. But if somebody is in need, especially a brother and sister in Christ, and we've got the ability to help them, to show God's... Yesterday, yesterday we talked about how God's love is perfected through us. God shows his love through us, but we close our hearts to this person when we could help them. How does God's love abide or live in that person? Little children, he challenges and teaches here, don't just love in word or talk. Don't just say, yeah, I love you. It's like, the, it's like the same person in James. You guys might recognize this in James, where James says, go in peace, be well. I'm praying for you. See ya, you know, and not help them at all. Don't just love with your mouth and what you say. It has to be indeed what you're doing and in truth, according to what God commands, the truth of God's word, or else the love of God is not abiding in us. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So if the one who hates the brother is in darkness, the one who loves his brother is in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So this is really helpful that, that John keeps with this light and dark idea, right? Uh, we talked about yesterday from Psalm 119 that his word is a what? Lamp to my feet and a what? Light to my path. Exactly. And so if we are writing for the brand, God has truly saved us, and we are loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's showing up in our lives and hopefully, again, like I said at the start, you guys who've truly been saved are hopefully looking at this in Scripture and going, man, I see God's work in me. I see this happening. I, I'm not doing this perfectly, but by the power of the Spirit, I'm growing in obedience to God's Word. And that actually provides confidence. It's going through a dark world with a lamp and a light instead of a blindfold. Imagine, so you guys have been uh, walking around camp at night, imagine if we just one night shut off all the lights and you had nothing. There's no moon out, there's nothing, and it's just pitch blackness. 
Imagine, especially for you guys who have never been to camp before, is that going to go good? Is that going to go well? You're going to be like, oh, no, oh, no. And there's no lamp, there's no light to figure out a way through this maze of a camp, if you've, especially if you've never been here before. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. He has confidence. He can look at his life and see the fruit of God's work in his life and say, I'm walking in the light. I have the ability to walk through this dark world knowing that I've got the truth of God's word and I know that he is changing me and I know that I am growing in obedience to his word and so I can have confidence in the work that God is doing in me if I am loving my brothers and sisters. 1 John 3, 19 through 20 John says this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him or give ourselves confidence again for whenever our heart condemns us or says, look at your sin, look at all that sin in there, there's no way you could be right with God. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything and if we have believed in the perfect life, the substitutionary death and the resurrection of Christ and this this new birth has happened. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we are truly living for him, truly riding for the brand. Whenever our heart condemns us, whenever we're in doubt, we can look at God's work and instead of cause for stumbling, we have cause for confidence. But in verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Guys, this is how I grew up. I mentioned jokingly, I, I grew up Pentecostal and somewhat charismatic for a time. And uh, it's okay if you don't know what those things mean. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of that. But basically, instead of having confidence in what God had done, Every bit of what I was encouraged to was basically, I have to be good enough. I'm constantly one sin away from out the grace of God. I'm not looking to the finished work of Jesus and keeping my eyes focused there. I'm constantly looking at my own. It's, it, we hear this phrase sometimes, maybe you've heard this, navel-gazing. I'm looking down at myself and going, am I good enough? Am I doing okay? It's just me, 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 me. And the problem is, is if we're looking at ourselves and we're so full of sin and we're so full of, you know, I'm changing my mind and changing my emotions constantly. If I'm just looking at me, I should be worried. I should have all kinds of doubt. And this is the person in verse 11, the person who hates his brother, but he's saying he walks in the light. He's actually walking in the darkness and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's not considering his brothers and sisters in Christ if he is saved, which John's going to tell us he's likely not saved. He has no reason to be confident. He has every reason to stumble around in the darkness because the truth of God is not changing him. And like Physical blindness can happen if you're in the darkness for an extended period of time. This is the effect of somebody who continues to walk in the darkness. It's just blinder and blinder and blinder. And that's not even a word, but I'm going to use it. Blinder and blinder and blinder. And they should not feel confident because they do not see the work of God 
coming out in their lives. There is cause for stumbling here. So how do we apply this? Is, and this is similar to a question we asked yesterday, but is Jesus our example for how to love? If this old new commandment is that we are to love one another as Jesus has loved us, is that the example we're looking to or are we looking to other worldly examples which are always going to have me first? Is Jesus our example for how to love and giving himself up for us? And then number two, are we laying our lives down for other Christians? We're not gonna do this perfectly, but do you guys see in yourselves, junior hires, a desire, a growing desire to live sacrificially for brothers and sisters around you? Let's get into number two, assurance of new life, verses 12 and 14. John says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. We talked about what does a true Christian believe about the gospel the other day. And God saves us out of love for us, but mainly God saves us for his own glory. He demonstrates to the universe that he can take people who were dead in their sins, desiring nothing but to be rebels against him, and he goes, look at how I have given them new life and changed the way they live, changed what they desire. He does it for his own glory. He is so loving, he is so kind, and he gives us his grace beyond what we can imagine, but he does this for his own glory. In Ephesians 1 Paul says this, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to what? The purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It has everything to do with God getting the glory, God getting the attention, God getting the credit, and this is the best thing for us. Now, you might say, hey, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to do stuff for my glory and my credit. Doesn't this make God selfish? How can this be out of his love and kindness? And I love what the New American Standard says in the purpose of his will. It says the kind intention of his will, that God's kindness is packed into saving us out of his own will to the glory of his grace. Well, how is this out of his love and kindness if he's just pointing us to himself, wants the attention? Well, number one, we've been talking about it all week in the mornings. God is the light and the source of life. Directing us to himself is the kindest and most loving thing that God could possibly do. Instead of letting us wander around in darkness, God knows he is the source of light, knows that he is the source of life itself, knows that he is the source of truth and goodness, and mercy, and grace, and love, and instead of letting us go our own way, he saves his people to himself, and that is the kindest and most loving thing that our God could do. Number two, I would say this, why is this kind and loving of God? We can't handle glory. We can't handle glory. We see this example all the time in celebrities. Look at celebrity athletes, celebrity you know, music artists and actors and actresses. 
why are they, people who get the most glory of anybody, some of the most miserable people on the earth. We keep hearing these stories over and over again that they believe that they could get satisfaction from the glory they are receiving. And we see enslavement to all kinds of sin. Marriages are devastated throughout Hollywood. You guys know this to be true. Glory destroys us and God knows this and says, I as the creator am the only one who can handle it. Give me the glory, give me the credit. I have done this work. You have done nothing but the sin that deserved, deserved punishment in hell for eternity and I have saved you out of my grace. Give me the credit, give me the glory. I'm the only one that can handle it. And we go around in our anxiety and depression has never been higher in a culture that has never been more focused on itself. Why? Just what I was talking about. The more we focus on ourselves, the more we see that we are broken in our sin and we have no reason to be confident. And there are, there are other circumstances and things that can lead us to certain types of anxiety and depression I, I want to acknowledge that, but when we stay there, it is because we have, instead of looking toward God, our creator, and his word, what he has promised, what he has taught as truth, we continue to look at ourselves, trying to get confidence, trying to get some semblance of something from within us. That's the problem that is going on in this group of churches that John is writing to, and we keep coming up empty-handed, and we walk and just going, oh, I hope I can be satisfied. I hope, I hope that something can happen good for me today. And God says this in Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? Don't be anxious for your needs or what you think you need. Verse 32, for the Gentiles or the, the people who are not a part of the people of God seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's the cure. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. As we seek God and we see his perfect promise-keeping record, that's one of the beautiful things we see throughout scripture. You want to see somebody keep 100% of their promises? Read the Bible. See God keep 100% of his promises and then let that be your source of confidence. Let that be your source of confidence. And then God even promises that all of your true needs, guess what, I'll, I'll provide them. Not the things that we think we need sometimes. Oh man, I really need that Bugatti. Oh Lord, please, please. Need that Xbox. God knows what we need truly and has promised to provide that. We can rest in that promise. Let's get into this. We see in verses 13 and 14, and this is where I've got this highlighted on the screen, is we see different stages of spiritual maturity. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that if God saves us, it tells us what we've been talking about this whole week. We should be growing. We should be growing. We're not just going to stay, just like in real life, you don't just stay a baby my wife wishes Nora, my wife Wendy, Mindy wishes Nora, she's like, well, it's a good thing she's going to be a baby for the rest of her life, uh, or else we might have to deal with some real things when she starts growing up. It doesn't work like that. She's going to grow up. 
You guys were once little infants and you're not anymore. And John is saying the same is true for the spiritual life. If we have been reborn, God is going to cause you to grow, but we also, again, as we've been talking about, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to choose to grow. And so we should grow from children who see God finally as a father instead of just a judge to young men who are overcoming the evil one and look in verse 14, strong and against their sin, the word of God abiding in you. That's where we should be growing. And then look what he says to the fathers. He repeats himself. He says, because you know him from the beginning, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. And then he says, verse 14, I write or have written, we'll get into that in a second, to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Why? Because as we grow in the Lord, grow in love for him and his ways, the love for the Lord starts to outgrow and it has outgrown the love for the world. And they see God in a depth of love that they have not seen before. The older and more mature that we get in the faith, we should be growing. Well then, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4 about this, and I want to focus on verse 13. Until we attain, we being the, those who are writing for the brand Christians, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the trajectory for every believer. We don't just stay babies. We should be growing into adults, growing in the word growing against sin. And then, I want us to look at this. The New American Standard actually translates the second part where John, you'll see him switch from I am writing to I write. And he says, have written in the New American Standard. And that's a slightly better translation from the Greek. Why? Because John, he's writing this letter, and this is not in the day of email. It's not in the day of cars or planes uh, he's writing a letter that's going to be carried by probably a guy on foot. And he's basically saying here, I'm writing these things to you now, and these things are true now, but when you're reading this later, these things are going to continue to be true. Where's the confidence that John pulls? Look at John 6:37. Look at the promise of Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. If we have been saved by God, he will never cast us out. Not only that, John 10, 28 through 29, I, Jesus, give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That is great confidence. So nobody casts us out. No, God will not cast us out. No one can snatch us out. We talked about that in Romans, or we'll talk about that in Romans 8. Spoiler alert for Cody. I don't want to get too much into that. But then Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God starts the work. He carries us along through the work, and he has promised that he will finish the work. We don't just stay babies, or we shouldn't just stay babies. 
And that should make us look and evaluate if we are. If we're not growing into maturity, we should look at the proof of our lives. Does it say that we're writing for the brand or does it say that we are walking in darkness? This is great confidence. It will remain to be true if we have been saved by God. Let's apply this. Do we want the glory for our lives or do we want God to get the glory? Do we want the glory for our lives or do we want God to get the glory? And then number two, is our love for God and his ways growing? So we talked about loving brothers and sisters in Christ and then now we're talking about a love for God. Do we see a love for God growing? And I'm gonna try to breeze through this last point, guys. But verses 15 through 17 John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, which is what we were just talking about, is not in him. If we have a love for the ways of the world, if we have a love for things that are not found in God's word, if we love the pattern of the world, the way the world lives, and it looks like they're having so much fun sometimes, and they are. I mean, the, the scripture says that sin is pleasurable. It appeals to our flesh. But it's short. It's temporary. It does not last. Instead of an eternal joy that can last even when things are hard. Because that's the thing about happiness. Is happiness can go away with one phone call. We could get a phone call. Any one of us in this room could get a phone call this morning that somebody that we love is, has, has died. We could get a phone call this morning that something terrible has happened back home. I pr pray and hope that it doesn't. We, we hope that those things don't happen, but if all we have is a love for the world and they say, have fun today, let's do whatever we want today, we're our own God, let's, let's go do this thing. I live for myself well, those moments that are bad, and, and we hear this from, I hear this from unbelieving friends and people that I know all the time where it's, it's this constant like complain fest or constantly wishing like, oh my gosh, this happened. When it rains, it pours, man. And that's kind of how they live. And there's no joy that seems to last even in the difficult times. There's no seeing the purpose and the point and though we may not understand the purpose and the point of what God is doing, a lot of times he holds that information away from us so that we just trust him. Cody talked about that so well, where so often we don't understand what's going on in the middle of it, but we know that God is good. We know that he's a keeper of his promises. And then what does worldliness look like? Well, we see John talk about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, the desires of the flesh, that's the desire that, that sin naturally has in us. The sin that's built into us, we just want more sin. The desires of the eyes, do we have any gamers in the room? Any gamers? Where are you at? Gamers. I know you're here. This is junior high camp. Don't lie to me. All right. Desires of the, of the eyes, this is like a really bad multiplier, okay? Really bad multiplier to the desires of the flesh because the desires of the flesh, we already want sin. But then if our eyes grab hold of something, maybe it's something that somebody else has, maybe it's something sexual and we know we shouldn't go after it, 
but our heart desires it and our eyes let it in, well, the eyes, whatever the eyes take in, amp up the desires of the flesh like a terrible, terrible, the worst multiplier of all time. And the pride of life, and some translations will say the boastful pride of life. Basically, this is if I've gotten what my flesh wanted, I saw something, I got it, and now basically I'm just bragging about it. Look at me. I got, I'm the man. I got this thing. Look at what I achieved. Look at what I got for myself in my sin. And instead of being concerned about their sin before a holy God, they actually brag about it. What is going on in our hearts? Yesterday we talked about this toward sin. In verse 17, we'll close with this. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now what John is not saying, I want to be so quick to say this because we're talking so much about what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. But guys, remember, God saves for his name's sake. He does the saving. Ephesians 2.10 is right after Ephesians 2.8.9, which means we have been saved which says we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one may boast. And then Ephesians 2.10, if you guys remember, we talked about it earlier this week, even the works that we can do in righteousness are because God has planned them beforehand and empowers us to do them by the power of his spirit. So we cannot work to our salvation. So this is not saying whoever does the will of God on their own without the power of the Holy Spirit gets eternal life, abides forever. That's not what John is saying. John is saying the one that you would not, we would not be able to do the will of God if, if God had not saved us. Romans 8, 6 through 8. The one who is riding for the brand, who has been saved by God and is obedient to God, it just is the proof that God has saved us. And instead of living for the temporary things of the world, which seem so promising, which looks so good at some times. Eve would not have eaten the fruit if it looked bad. The scripture even tells us it looked pleasing to the eyes. We wouldn't sin if it didn't look good. But it's appealing, and it looks like it can satisfy. But as soon as I satisfy that sin, I just want more, and it's not enough, and it's never enough. Do we want eternal life? Do we want God's eternal life? Do we love the Father? Is the love of the Father in us, or is a love for the world in us? I'm going to skip this for now. Let's apply this as we shut it down. What do our lives reflect? Do we see a love for God in us? or a love for the world and the things in the world. And then number two, guys, we have to grow in a love for God. Pastor Tim and I were talking about this the other day, where it's, it's this thing when we are commanded to do things in Scripture, it's totally by the power of the Spirit. And there's a, there's a pastor preacher that I love to learn from. He said, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in obedience to God, it will be true if God has saved us. He's promised we will grow, but it also has to be true. It also must be true. We have to do it by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not going to take control of your body and make you do righteous things. But it is by the power of the Spirit that you're able 
to do them and walk in them. And we have to, every single day, get into the word, get into time with brothers and sisters in Christ, continue to go to church and be encouraged, and walk this love for God out. Ride for the brand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word. Thank you that it is so clear that this letter that John has written, and I mean all of your word is, is so clear, and especially by the power of the Spirit as we, who gives us the ability to understand. Lord, I, I just thank you so much for that. God, I pray that we would grow in love for you instead of a love for the things of the world. Please grow us into maturity. Please get the glory from our lives. Help us to live lives that are pleasing and glorifying to you. Lord, you are so good. You are so gracious, so holy, so righteous, so good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.